I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carlos. And it's the red agenda again. So just as Liverpool put together a couple of back-to-back wins, an international break arrives. So time for Jurgen to map out the rest of the season. We've got plenty to look at on today's pod. Thanks for joining us. The Champions League draw, throwing up that tasty tie with Real and a possible semi with Chelsea. We'll revisit Gini Wijnaldum's contract situation. Uh, We've got Gareth Southgate dropping a bombshell by leaving Trent out of his England squad. Was that justified? And Simon has caught up with Steven Gerrard after he secured his first league title with Rangers. Now, you can subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months, 40% off the full price of a subscription, that is. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com slash Pod. Take advantage of this special 40% discount that's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. Right, let's get into it. On today's pod, we have Kiefer O'Neill and Simon Hughes, myself, Steve Hothersall. And uh, let's face it, who wasn't thinking revenge when that draw with Real Madrid was made in the Champions League? And of course, if you look further ahead, uh, maybe a familiar semi with Chelsea as well. Kiefer, let's start with yourself. Um, that, that revenge idea, how much was it in your mind when you saw the draw come out? I mean, before the draw, I think you kind of looked at every team, didn't you, and sort of weighed up what the sort of storyline would be. And the Real Madrid, Salah, Ramos one did sort of stick out in everyone's mind, didn't it? And then obviously when the draw come through, it did feel like, you know, a good opportunity for Liverpool, not just that obviously the record against Real Madrid in knockout ties is is pretty good, but getting to play them not in, in that one-off like in Kiev because you always felt like Madrid had more of the power over. Even this time round, if it was one game, you do feel like Real Madrid had, you know, they ju- they've just got something, haven't they, in, in one game affairs. But yeah, no, really exciting, isn't it, I think. And the side of the draw for Liverpool, I think Liverpool fans will be made up with just because obviously it kind of opens up a route to Istanbul. You know, we was chatting about this recently, but... I don't think you could have really got a better draw. Obviously, everyone was sort of thinking about Porto, but I think people are probably underestimating Porto and it wouldn't greatly shock me to see them do a number on Chelsea for all Chelsea have been playing well recently. You know, that is the Champions League. They, they did just beat Cristiano Ronaldo, Juventus. So, And obviously anything can happen against Real Madrid, even though they're not at the, the peak of their powers this season. They're still an unbelievable team, aren't they? And, you know, I think the past three that they won back-to-back, they were always never good in La Liga at the time. You know, Barcelona were dominating and they weren't playing well. But for this competition, they've got a similar thing to Liverpool where no matter what's happening, they can show up. So it's going to be, I think, one of the greats. Hopefully, you know, 
Liverpool will will take it sort of in a in a revenge like way. I think you you know there's been talk since that final, hasn't there? Everyone's been asked about it over the years, and I think Salah will be very keen. You know, I love that Salah's that kind of player that you know he's going to play with that in the back of his mind, and it's going to drive him on. But then Ramos is also going to play in the same way. Like he'll be looking to do the same thing because he's been doing that for his whole career. So yeah, I mean it's it's very exciting, isn't it? It's impossible, Si, not to get ahead of yourself. Obviously, Kiva was talking then about the side of the draw. So you look at it and you think, oh, possibly Chelsea in the semi, possibly Istanbul as a final. And come on, there, there will be some scouts who've already booked a plane ticket. In fact, I know, I know a few sent me text messages saying it's a 130 quid return from Edinburgh to Istanbul. So you, you do sort of get ahead of yourself at, at this stage, especially when you see that side of the draw. I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I think Liverpool... Ideally, would have not wanted to get Man City for obvious reasons and avoid Paris Saint-Germain as well. Those two teams, for me, Liverpool would have problems against. You, you, you put Bayern Munich into that category as well. But I, I just think that you know the, the more recent experience of beating Bayern Munich would probably help Liverpool in this situation. But So they avoided sort of the three teams that you, you're desperate to avoid, both in the, in the quarters and in the semi. So I can understand the excitement. Around it, really, I think that the the draw gives gives Liverpool a chance. The talk about revenge in Real Madrid for me, I think that what happens in Madrid a year later, I think it, it eradicated those memories a little bit. You know, like the the feeling that you, you've got to do a number on them because of what happened in 2018 is a bit less because they obviously subsequently went and won the Champions League and then became league champions as well. But there's absolutely no doubt that um, you know the, the focal point in this this game is is the relationship on the pitch between Ramos and and, and Salah. What, what do you understand that relationship to be, Si? Well, not, not, no one Salah. Well, I'm not saying that I know Salah, but sort of knowing what I know about him, I, I think he'd be very motivated to perform well in this game. <laughs> Put it that way, particularly with what has happened with Ramos, and equally, of course. You know, if, if he is thinking about moving on, performing in the Champions League against a team that I'd imagine he might fancy moving to at some point, would be good for him. So I think he's going to be really motivated in this game to um, to perform. I mean, yeah, I mean, people talk about sort of Salah and disparaging terms. I think this season, I think his performances have been consistently very good. Really, I mean, I, I can understand why he's got a bit of criticism, but generally speaking, I think he's done well. It's obviously. Liverpool's top scorer, top scorer in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that there's a lot riding on this this tie for him. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how that maps out, really. I mean, I, I, I don't look back at the Kiev final in the way that maybe others do. I'm not sure, but I, I look back at that final with happy memories in a weird way because it was such a fabulous weekend. I think if you were there, I think it, obviously there was a disappointment to lose in the game, but it did feel like the sort of the game where... Liverpool were officially back amongst the European elite again. And really, I mean, everything went so wrong for Liverpool that, that weekend in terms of what happened on the pitch. I mean, they were never going to win the game on the basis of A, Salah getting injured so early, B, the goalkeeper throwing two in, and C, Gareth Bale coming on as a sub and scoring over overhead kick in the first couple of minutes. You don't win a game of football when all those things happen. So everything that could go wrong did go wrong in that game. But let's not forget, you know, there's a lot of Liverpool players, not just Salah, I suppose, there's a lot of Liverpool players who played in that game who are still at the club. 
So I'm sure, you know, that they'll, they'll be, if they can beat Real Madrid, it'll be a reminder again that Liverpool aren't as bad as people are making them out to be. Because any victory over Real Madrid, particularly over two legs, is major. It's, it's you know, it's it's a, the sort of thing that people remember and players remember in their careers. So I'm really looking forward to it, actually. I think um, I've been a bit down about football recently for, for a variety of reasons, but, you know, it's the sort of tie that gets you, gets you pretty excited, I think. Absolutely. Two European powerhouses. And and you mentioned the point there, Sign that pick up on this, Kiva, obviously it is pretty much the same Liverpool players involved a couple of years on, and it's not that much difference for Real Madrid either. So, you know, you've got your, your Tony Cruz, your Modric, you've got your Casemiro's. The teams are relatively similar. There hasn't been massive overhauls here. No, there hasn't. And I think for Liverpool, that's obviously been a positive thing to keep that group of players together. You know, now we're sort of teetering on the edge of, you know, a few people might be maybe leaving and things will be looking different. So I think... I mean, that almost sets it up well, doesn't it? Because those players have been here. They kind of know what that final meant. And even just pushing Liverpool to the next level, like Simon said, you know, that final made Liverpool fans believe, you know, we're back. But then it also made it made the players believe, you know, we can get there again. And they did that the season later, you know, it kind of instilled that belief then in the squad. And, um, you know, they'll still carry pain over, won't they, from that final as Madrid's players will, you know, remember that as one of the, the great nights in their history. You know, to beat Liverpool is massive, especially Liverpool obviously won the first European Cup against Real Madrid, didn't they? So there's obviously been a, a, a long history there between the clubs. But yeah, in terms of an overhaul, obviously I think Real Madrid won the league last season, didn't they? And, you know, they've they've sort of departed ways with Zidane and then Obviously, just he came back into the fold and it kind of felt like that was never going to happen until it did. And then, obviously, you know, I mean, I think the six points off the top in, in La Liga currently, obviously, Atletico are there and then Barcelona. So, you know, they're still they're still in the race for the title with, with Liverpool completely, as we know, out of the, the race for the Premier League. So, you know, they've got a couple of couple of fires burning, haven't they? Which I think will probably suit them. But, you know, now Liverpool have got all their eggs coming up to Easter, all their eggs in one basket. You know, I think that'll be able to motivate them. And I think those players being there is a good thing. But this might be the sort of the last of that squad in a way. Um, you know, obviously with maybe news of Wijnaldum uh, potentially going this summer, like Simon mentioned, you don't know what the future holds for Salah maybe and, and a couple of others. And, you know, it is kind of like, you know, just... Fans will be hoping it, it's sort of one last hurrah, this this Champions League run. Real, Spain's last survivor in the Champions League, which is pretty amazing in itself because, of course, Atletico knocked out. And they've got a massive week because actually in between those two Champions League games with Liverpool, they've got the El Clasico with Barcelona as well, Si. So there's a lot riding on it for Real. Yeah, I suppose you're in some ways hoping that in a, in a peculiar way, Real catch up with, with Atletico in the meantime so it means that there's more riding on on that fixture than there would be if you were say six or six points behind or or even further behind because the, you know I think we've seen it before Real sort of catch up from a position of improbability and, and, and go and win the league so obviously a lot of criticism being flying around and there always is when Real are not top of the league and even if they're not top of the league by some distance and playing amazing football you know there's criticism and Zidane's under a lot of pressure at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I would imagine that the Champions League is as important for them as it is for Liverpool 
at this moment in time of is his ankle going win the Champions League again, which I think is a big ask, given you know, sort of the, some of the reasons that the Kivas said there. You know, it's it, their their team is when we talk about sort of cycles. You know, that they, they've got three or four players in their sort of early to mid thirties now who players who they've they've relied upon and who've delivered for them season after season for a long period of time. I'm not too sure how long. Karen Benzema can go on for last season he was crucial in Real Madrid winning the league I believe but you know you've got Benzema Luka Modric and some of the other players that you mentioned earlier Steve so it's a massive massive game for them they've got some aging legs there and actually pace could play a big part in this and the pace of the Liverpool side yeah I mean it, I, I expect it'll be a totally different sort of game to what we saw in the Champions League final in 2018 you know fi- finals are always different I think teams that sort of pace themselves in finals and one-off games tend to do a bit better, I think. I don't think Liverpool's style necessarily suits a final in some ways. You know, I think that across two legs where, you know, you've got two goals at it, I think that, you know, that Liverpool, the way they play, can punish Real Madrid with some of the ageing legs. But you need, you know, Liverpool to have the players available who are capable of delivering that sort of performance. And of course... I mean, we can't have any conversation about Liverpool without sort of the the impact of not having fans there because I do think it pushes them forward and puts more pressure on the opposition. Um, I think Real Madrid will have a much easier time at Anfield than they would have had if if Anfield was full. And let's not forget Liverpool are going over to Madrid and playing in in essentially the, the reserve team stadium. So it's got a totally different feel to the game. But I just think Liverpool look quite good in the Champions League this season. I know, like, obviously, they've um, they had one defeat against Atalanta. But that aside, you know, really, really good performance in Italy. You know, excellent performance over two legs against Leipzig. They've beaten Ajax home and away with two good performances, I would say. So, you know, they, they are performing well in the Champions League. And it seems like a competition that suits them. So, at this moment in time, I think they, they can go further than the quarterfinals because of the draw that they've got. But I still think that eventually, if they were to come up against really, really, really top quality opposition with players who are in their peak, whether it's Neymar, Mbappe, or anybody you want to mention at Man City, you know, I just think it might be a bit too much for them at the moment. But who knows, he might have some of the more experienced defenders back at that point. I mean, that's me just speculating again. I mean, all the indications from Jürgen Klopp have been he's done everything that he can to sort of dismiss the notion that Van Dijk will play any part in this season. So um, I just think that that will tell. If you've got key players like that missing in big games, it's it's going to show. Right, so Sai si, si almost hinted there, Kiva, that he just sees a path to the final emerging and then maybe Liverpool losing to a, to a Bayern or a Man City. What, what, what's your perspective on what might happen? I think it's opened up nicely, hasn't it? I think, as Simon said there, you know, Without Van Dijk, you do feel if Liverpool had Van Dijk, they'd be among the favourites again for this competition, wouldn't they? Um, you know, with your, your Man Citys and your Bayerns. But you do kind of worry, even with someone like Haaland or whoever, you know, Man City's plethora of attackers running at Nat Phillips and Ozan Kabak, who've done, you know, a sterling job in recent weeks, but, you know, are going to need a lot more experience. I don't know if they can get past Real Madrid, albeit, you know, the agent sort of Real Madrid that we've discussed, then you do kind of think a Chelsea semi-final would be, I mean, that's when you start thinking about, I mean, we're missing fans already. Liverpool fans would love to have got back out to Madrid to become a bit of a second city, hasn't it, in recent years. And obviously Chelsea or Porto in that semi-final, it just sets up that that Istanbul 
medical that we can all get behind, I think, you know, in terms of Liverpool not having the better squad, but maybe go and do something special. I don't know, that's a little niggle and hope I think everyone has currently, but you do kind of think, you know, I'd love it to be pushed back as far as possible. And if Liverpool could get Van Dijk back, which, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, that will completely make the difference just in... And it's mad that I think that speaks for Van Dijk that we mention him every week, pretty much. Um, but also that, you know, he is that player that, that just makes you favourites for something. Like, that's how incredible he is. Um, but, you know, I'm still still back in the Phillips and Quebec to, to do the business, hopefully. Just, just a quick word on maybe Liverpool-Chelsea side. I mean, I'm thinking back to 2005 and a couple of years later. I loved those semi-finals. And I remember thinking I wouldn't love them. But actually, I loved that English duel at that stage of the competition. That, that, that period between Liverpool and Chelsea was just incredible. The, like the, the tension, you know, they, they were such close games, weren't they, Steve? I mean, you know what it was like. You were commentating inside Anfield in those games and every single game. There was only one once or twice, you know, that one team would, would sort of convincingly beat the other. They were always like the tightest games where the, you just sense that the slightest mistake would end up being significant, and it, you know, and on quite often it was. And I just love that period. I mean, you've got to. I mean, a lot of it was down to, to obviously the man, two managers who were involved, Benitez and, and Mourinho, who who quite clearly didn't well despise each other, didn't they? Which I, which I love that element of it when there's a bit of proper tribalistic uh, hate in some ways. I shouldn't really say that, given all the hatred in the world at the moment, but it, it sort of seems quite pointless, doesn't it, I suppose, when you talk about it in football terms. But, yeah, they, they were absolutely brilliant games, Steve. And, um, again, it sort of feeds into what Kiva was saying there. It's like, you know, you think, you think about those games, both at Stamford Bridge as well, because the, the atmosphere down there was always good when Liverpool went there. I know people talk about Stamford Bridge being a bit, you know, sort of... You know the, the sort of new age fans, but I, every time I've been there, it's, it's been rocking when when Liverpool go like they're absolutely desperate to get one over Liverpool and make it, you know, make it really difficult. So it's just a shame again. You know, fans aren't going to be there. And it, just touching what Kiva said there about Madrid. I mean, it's my my favourite city in Europe. I, I just every time I go there, I have a great time. And um, I think that summer when Liverpool won the Champions League, Madrid was there three times in successive months. It was brilliant. What a summer that was. So, yeah, this all takes away from the spectacle, I guess, you know, in terms of because I do feel, you know, when we talk about the crowds and the significance of the crowds, I think this is the argument that I always think about how important it is Anfield. And it relates to what you just asked about Chelsea there, Steve. If I were to ask you, why did Liverpool win that game against Chelsea in 2005? What was it that, that caused the linesman to panic? It wasn't the players, it wasn't the tactics. It was the atmosphere inside the ground. You could tell he totally froze the linesman before he knew it. It was a goal. That was the, the Liverpool won that game. Obviously, the, you know, great performance by the team. The team was set up brilliantly, but the clinching moment was that moment really. And the crowd had played. You know, it was it was it was down to the crowd and the tension inside the ground that night. Just incredible times. I just hope we can get back there soon because that's what you want, isn't it? So many other games in Europe as well. Barcelona's, oh. Roma's, whatever, all around the crowd, yeah. aren't they? I'm still yeah. reeling off that good Johnson shot. It's still going on another planet somewhere. That shot is still going slowly mm. across the face of goal and we don't know where it's going. Still reeling off it all yeah. these years later. It will be interesting though, Steve, if you do get Chelsea as well. After the what Chelsea did at Anfield earlier this season... 
or as I say, the season a couple of weeks ago. I think they've had the initial manager lift, you know, when a manager comes in and gives them all the kick up the bum that they need. I, I would fancy Liverpool to do them over two legs, even without a crowd. But that needs Liverpool, I think, to have availability to the bulk of their players and playing, uh, you know, a defence, which is a defence rather than playing midfielders and defence. I think that just hasn't worked. I mean, we're going back over old ground, I suppose. But yeah, I think I think for Liverpool to get to where they want to be in this competition, I think the best just leaving Matt Phillips and come back and, and just hoping that they sort of get away with it to some extent and, and playing the players in midfield, who are midfielders, and just go from there and, and try and try and play something, uh, play with a style which the players are sort of comfortable with and playing them in the positions that they're comfortable with. I think that for me now is, is, is key, really. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to The Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall on the pod today, Simon Hughes and Kiva O'Neill. Uh, let's have a talk about um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Dropped from the, uh, the latest England squad ahead of the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, must have shot the player himself. I don't know. Maybe he was expecting it. Kieran Trippier, preferred by Gareth Southgate. Kiva, Trent's not had the best of seasons. But but what do you actually make of the decision itself? I don't know. I wasn't, like, when I saw the team come through, I kind of thought, oh, Trent's not in it. That's a bit weird. Like, why wouldn't you put Trent in, in that team? And... And then I thought, you know what, this is probably a good thing because Joe Gomez was injured on on England duty, wasn't he? And you kind of think, you know, maybe that was behind the thinking. Obviously, now we know it wasn't. It's just sort of based on on his current form. But if you base it on his current form, you'll know that in recent weeks, he's been one of Liverpool's standout players. I think the game against Sheffield United, he, he really stepped up into a different kind of role we've seen him in recently. I thought he took on more of a leadership with obviously Phillips and Kabak partnering up in defence. I feel like he, he did that in, in the games that followed as well. So I don't know if you're watching closely and you're you know you you're keeping an eye on him, then you'll know that he has actually been playing really well recently. Obviously, he had that start to the season, which because he had no pre-season and that was always going to happen, happen for a lot of players. Van Dijk not being there is a factor. There's a lot of factors why he hasn't probably you know got to the, the level of assists and stuff. But if you watch his actual performances... He's still playing them balls and he's still, you know, a threat. He's still creating chances. And I don't know, to leave him out, was it, it felt a little bit sour, didn't it, almost? Just because, I don't know. Obviously, I felt like when I seen it, he's he's going to be in the Euros anyway. Like, you don't leave him out of the Euros. I think that's when you kick up a fuss if he's, if he's not on the plane. Then you'd be sort of like, hang on a minute, you know, he's England's best right back. I think probably Reese James has had maybe a better season than him. But then, you know, Chelsea have only just turned it around under the new manager, as Simon just said. So, um, I don't know, it is a bit of a, a difficult one. But again, I don't think it's it's anything done in malice, I wouldn't say. I think he'll he'll definitely make the Euro squad. But I think as a player, you want to make as many appearances for England, for the national team, for any national team that, you know, you play for. You want to you wanna make as many appearances as possible. And they are, I think, the World Cup qualifiers, aren't they? So, Trent would have loved to have... I've been there wearing the England shirt. You know, it's, that's an international stage. We know playing for Liverpool is, but that's just another level, isn't it? 
and he wants to prove himself on that level. So I think to leave him out was a bit of a misstep from Southgate. But, you know, it'll only fuel Trent's performances. Not that he needs any any more fuel to, to go out and do what he does week in, week out. But, you know, I think this will be now sort of maybe a little wake-up call to him just to say, you know, I've got to keep going on. And I think, you know, the piece James done with some of the tactics writers um, showed that he's, he's still up there this season in terms of, like, expected assists and everything else. So his numbers are still good. It just may be because Liverpool haven't had the right season. It kind of clouds everyone's judgment in the wrong way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great piece. And the stats would suggest that he still should be picked on merit. But obviously, Southgate hasn't picked him. Obviously, say he's a player who flourishes when you've got the ball and you're going forward. Perhaps defensively, you know, he's not been at the top of his game. I wonder whether it says more about Southgate's sort of tactical idea of where he wants to, his team to be. I think it does. I think it's a bizarre decision, really. I think Trent, for me, if you... If he's playing well, and you'd expect him to finish the season strongly, because I, I think he's actually played well the second half of the season since the Southampton game away. You know, Liverpool had obviously a really bad period, but within that, I actually think he's been pretty good. You know, defensively, he has he has had to think about a lot more. You know, with the to, you know the changing of the partners to, to the left of him at centre half can't be easy when you're a marauding right back who suddenly then has to start thinking a little bit more about the movements. But I think I think he's actually dealt with it quite well. I can't understand why Trippier is being selected ahead of him because Southgate can't claim that his form's been better because he's been suspended for so long. You know, he's hit with a massive ban and yet he's, he's put him back in um, straight away. So, yeah, I mean, I can't understand that. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And he's gone back into an Atletico team they've just started losing a little bit as well, you know, lost some big games. So I, I don't get it. I don't get that reasoning behind it. Um, Reese James, as, as Keeper said, I think is a very talented player and is there by rights, but I wouldn't say that about Kieran Trippier. My only sort of guesswork, this is just guesswork, but maybe Southgate thinks that, well, we can, again, give him a bit of a, a little bit of a kick up the bum ahead of the Euros and really focus him the last couple of, couple of months of the season and get him firing again for that tournament. It might work. It might work, but it could go the other way as well. I mean, it could 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 shake his confidence a little bit. So it's a bit of a risk, an unnecessary risk, I think, that the Southgate's taken there. So yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for Liverpool, I, I think that it's not a bad thing that he's he's got a bit more time off. I think his season was disrupted at the beginning by COVID. There's no doubt about that. And he was just coming into form when he then picked up an injury at Man City, which obviously curtailed his form. And then he came when he came back into the Liverpool team, it was a Liverpool team that was losing and low on numbers. So this isn't, again, excuses. It's just the context behind his season. So, yeah, for me, like the last couple of weeks, I think he's been one of Liverpool's best, better players. So it's, it just doesn't make much sense for me. I just think if you've got players who have the quality of Trent Alexander-Arnold, you, you need to try and find a way to, to make it work. You know, it, it, like... It's the age-old England problem, isn't it, where managers have players and the best players tend to be in the same position. It, it does remind me a bit of Gerrard and Lampard's when they were the sort of the two star players, if you like. And I, I do think that Trent falls into that category, despite him being a right-back. He is one of the star sort of turns of the Liverpool team at the moment, that, or has been, sorry, for two, three years now, the most creative player. Meanwhile, Reese James has made you know fantastic progress at Chelsea. I know the guys 
also he used to manage Wigan. Paul Cook has him there, and Paul Cook absolutely raved about Rhys James. Said, you know, the Trent does have a battle on his hands because you know Rhys James has the ability to go and put pressure on him. But I just think at this time, you know, Trent's the more experienced player. He's played in two Champions League finals. He's won the Premier League. Is as you know we've said, his, his stats are still up, right up there. So it doesn't really make any sense to me. Uh, I just think it's a classic sort of bit of a fudge from an England manager where England managers tend to fudge difficult decisions in some ways. Um, I think he's probably overthought what he's what he's trying to do there. I, I can't really understand why you would just totally cut out one of your, your team's, potentially your team's best players. As you said, Steve, I, I sort of agree with that. I think perhaps... You know that the instruction from England is 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 a lot more defensive from the the fullback positions. They don't necessarily want Trent to do what he does for Liverpool and what Liverpool the, the sort of style which Liverpool plays is obviously quite uh, distinctive, isn't it? So I think that probably plays into a little bit more. But as far as I can tell, Reese James is, is sort of a similar player to Trent. So again, it, the question mark is around Trippier. I can't understand why Trippier would be selected above. Above Trent Alexander Arnold's when he, you know he hasn't played himself for, for a long period of time. And, and not only that, he's just been punished for something that is okay, his punishment's over now. But it just seems like, well, that's forgotten about. He's back in the team and he hasn't even played. The, the rationale behind it doesn't add up to me. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn. So it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Listening to uh, the Red Agenda, your Liverpool dedicated podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, still a couple of subjects to mull over. We'll go to Stephen Gerrard in just a moment. First, um, our, our regular update on Genie Wijnaldum. I've, I've seen some articles claiming that there's some sort of pre-contract agreement with Barcelona in place. Um, not everyone's reporting this at the moment. Can either of you shed any light on this, Kiva, Simon? Well, I, I can a little bit. I mean, obviously there was a report on the... Um... Sunday Times yesterday, which said obviously that Wijnaldum has agreed to terms with with Barcelona. I mean, I wasn't part of these conversations, these phone calls that were made yesterday, but I know some colleagues from The Athletic did uh, make contact with both clubs and both clubs denied that there is an agreement in place at this moment in time. Now, of course, if you take your word on that, there might, there might be an agreement between them to deny everything that, that, that does happen in football. I remember when Emre Chan left Liverpool, it was sort of his, the, the destination, uh, the, the place that he was going to, Juventus, it wasn't really um, made public until he'd played his last game for Liverpool. And I think that's the way clubs, uh, it suits the clubs to, to have it like that, I think, at the moment. But I think, I mean, it seems to me his, his, con- his, his contract's up in three months' time. I'd be astonished if 
suddenly Liverpool decided to offer the money that the um that it seems his agent wants. So um yeah, for me, I would be majorly surprised if he played for Liverpool like next season. Do you think you think it's happening? Kiva, do you think there'd be more of a storm over this if if actually the narrative of the season wasn't so bad in other ways and actually, you know, the, the topic of Liverpool's season has more been about how they've imploded after after January. And actually the, the one album headlines seem to be second, third, underneath all this. Yeah, I think maybe if Liverpool were having a, a brilliant season in the league, then things might be a little bit different. But I do think fans have almost had time to adjust themselves to this news because it's been a long time coming almost, hasn't it? The... You know, we thought that when Alden would be leaving, obviously the whatever's gone on there, they haven't been able to agree on on contract terms or whatever. And that's that was last season that was you know being discussed. So, you know, this will come as no shock to Liverpool fans, and I think that's sort of what makes it less of a less of a fuss and less of a shock. But this pre agreement with Barcelona could have happened. But for me, I think the um, like the sound coming out of Liverpool is that you know they haven't been informed of any such agreement but obviously when Alden doesn't have to tell them about the agreement like he doesn't have to do that but to me when Alden is a player who would want to tell Klopp he'd want to tell his teammates that I'm agreeing to you know a contract with another team I don't think he's the type I mean you know I could be wrong here but you know he's the all smiling you know, holds the squad together in hard times, under the radar midfielder that has been such a revelation for Liverpool since coming from the relegated Newcastle side. You know, he's held that midfield together more times than one. And, um, you know, he's been Klopp's go-to man, hasn't he? He's always been the one midfielder that that he's always mainly put in that team. I think it'd be the first of, of that team to go, wouldn't it? So it would be like... It'd be the emotional one. I think that's why you saw that outpouring of emotion on Twitter yesterday. A lot of people sharing, you know, nice stories of him and stuff like that. And I think he's he's always been that that guy, hasn't he? The, you know, he's he's had amazing moments for, for Liverpool, um, some amazing goals. Probably should have scored more goals and hopefully, you know, that'll that'll improve as the season goes on. But you know, it, if he does if he does go, he'll always be remembered fondly, won't he, by by Liverpool fans. Absolutely. Um, right, let's move on to um, Stephen Gerrard. Terrific piece uh, on The Athletic right now. Simon's been in conversation with him. I t- just wonder about the, the level of personal satisfaction that Stephen Gerrard got from being crowned league champions with Rangers. Something he he never felt, never touched with Liverpool side. Yeah, I could sense a great deal of satisfaction. I mean, the, the, the sort of the jump out line really was, you know, it was the first bit of success that he's had since his worst moments in football. Obviously, he's referring to the the Chelsea game, which, you know, it's seven years ago. It's a lot, long time to have that sort of hanging over you. And, he, you know, he was sort of, you know, he was quite philosophical about it. He wasn't, you know, sort of, well, is me. But you could you could tell at that, that moment has hurt him in ways that, probably a lot of people still can't quite appreciate in some ways that the burden of of that moment against Chelsea when Denver Bar scored the goal. I think it's been on his mind a lot. I don't think he'll ever he's had to obviously come to terms with it because it's going to stay with him forever. And he did sort of the, the fact that he referenced it, sir. Yeah, you know, he, he, he he did actually say, I don't have to talk about it anymore. Uh, he sort of said it jokingly, but you can tell it must it must it must still it must kill him. You know, I I can 
I can understand why it would. And it's such a there's an element of sort of tragedy about Stephen Gerrard in a weird way. You know, it's fighting, as far as I'm concerned, being Liverpool's greatest modern footballer. I mean, I, I took so much pleasure from watching him play. He's everything that you'd want from a Liverpool player, particularly a local player. The way everything about him, I just, I just absolutely love. But then to have that, like, as, as one of your sort of last moments, really. I know he had the season, another season of Liverpool share, but to have that happened to you at the age of what 34 uh, must be hard to deal with and it, it shows you just how much character he's got to step up and put himself in the firing line again uh, a lot of people hoping he might fail at Rangers I think a lot of people think he would fail and with good reason as well because the club was an absolute mess when he took over and he's managed to get a lot sorted out in a very sort of short space of time really uh, I think he proving himself as a, as a much better judge of a situation than than uh, some people might think. And you could tell, like, just when he spoke about the title, you could tell like, there's that little smile on his face that could tell he was very satisfied by delivering that. Because let's not forget, everybody was saying, you can't do it. You shouldn't take that job. You, you're trying to beat Celtic, whose resources are far greater than yours. Rangers, that season, had lost to Luxembourg's fourth-best team in Europe. You know, what are you taking this job on for? And he took it on. Um, okay, Celtic have fallen on harder times in, in the last year, but to, to, to overtake them with the style that they have and win the league by the distance that they have, I think it, it means an awful lot. So, yeah, it was it was great talking to him. And I think, he, um, I think he wants to sort of enjoy the moment for as long as he can, but I, I, I did get the impression that already, I mean, I sort of put in the piece... There's so much more for him to achieve, isn't it? In the game, I don't think that quest for for success will ever leave him. Really, now I think he obviously will want to win the league again with Rangers, but I think he needs to get them uh, to a decent position in the Champions League as well. I think that'll be the barometer with which he's judged in other countries outside Scotland and inside Scotland as well. If he if he could get Rangers to the knockout of the Champions League, I, th- I think that'd be a big achievement. And be, you know, if he could beat some some decent teams along the way again, that would show his credentials as a tactician, which I think he's already shown in the Europa League. You know, Rangers' form in Europe has been quite impressive over the last couple of years, really steadily. So, had some good wins both home and away. So, the next stage of that is the Champions League. Once he's done that, obviously, there's the big question mark around Liverpool. And even if you win the league at Liverpool and and, and do what he couldn't achieve as a player, there's then that quest to to go and dominate. So for him. It never ends. Did you ask him the question outright again? Does he get asked it every week? Well, I mean, to be honest, Steve, I mean, he, he'd asked the question, he'd answered the question, I need to the ITV reporter a few weeks ago where it was like, the Liverpool fans do not want me as manager right now. And I don't think he could have been any more emphatic and sort of shows how perceptive he is as well. You know, I think it was it was a great, it was a great answer that I thought. So the Liverpool job didn't really come up in the conversation. It was more about the here and now, with him sort of saying, you know, that there's so much more that he he wants to achieve. So, yeah, the, the, the folks in the interview was more sort of Rangers and the, the sort of immediate future. I think he sees Liverpool... I don't think he sees the Liverpool job over the next couple of years, put it that way, coming his way. Unless something spectacular happened with Jürgen Klopp, I, I think he'd find it very difficult to say no if he was offered the job. But I, 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 do, I do suspect that he's smart enough to realise that he probably needs a bit more experience in management as well. He, the one thing that he did speak a lot about was his staff. Uh, it's quite interesting listening to him on that because 
I always felt as a player when you spoke to him, he, you know, being the player that he was, the figure that he was, I think it must have been quite isolating in some ways. You know, I, I think that he always had like this view that all the players coming to the club were, you know, potentially coming to take his place as well. So I think now he's got that sort of sense of solidarity with his staff that he maybe didn't have as a player, if that makes sense, you know, with the people around him. I think he really, you know what Stevie's like, Stevie, he really like sort of values trust around people. It's one of the things that he looks for in a, in a person. And I think that that, I think he's enjoyed that side of management, you know, being able to work with people and place his faith in people and how see that be repaid. So yeah, it was fascinating listening to him and he was on top form. I mean, he, He's a far better interview than, than I think people tend to think. I always come away from interviews with Stephen thinking, like, I've learned something new. And I think that's what you want, really, as a, as a, as a reporter and a journalist. You know, and he, he has a real, really good way of, of explaining himself, always sort of as a way of putting people in the place if they have to. Um, will it enter, you know, a bit of debate, if, if there has to be debate? So, yeah, really uh, enjoyed that Friday morning chatting to him. Inside the mind of Stephen Gerrard, brilliant piece on the Athletic uh, right now. Quick word from yourself, Kiva, on this. Well, I mean, he's worked under some of the great managers, Houllier, Benitez. Won't say Roy's name in that list. Obviously, Brendan Rogers as well. Um, he loves Roy Hodgson, Steve. He, he, <laughs> he could probably take a bit from all of them, couldn't he? Really, but I don't, I don't think you'd necessarily compare him like for like with any of them, Kiva. No, I don't think you would. And. Um, you know, when you sort of think of Gerard, you you, ne- you never sort of think of the managers that he worked under. You think of him as a player and him taking his own sort of energy as a player and being a manager in that way. So he sort of manages as he played. That's how you sort of like naturally think of him. You don't think, oh, yeah, he's taken that from Rafa, Kenny, you know, whoever else. But I'm sure there's bits and bobs from all those dressing rooms that he that he's been in. And, you know, even probably his time at LA Galaxy would have been starting to think differently. You know, I'm sure his coaching badges were probably already well underway. And he was, you know, thinking about life after after playing football. And, you know, I think his mind was probably set on, on management, wasn't it? So he's probably for a long time been developing, you know, how he would manage a team and a club. Um, and I think the job he's done at Rangers was such a tricky one to step into, as Simon sort of mentioned there. And... When you think, I remember listening to a, I think it was Carragher's podcast and when Gerard was on that, it was brilliant because it was just like two mates chatting and he was just really, really fun to listen to. But I remember the one sort of thing he said and he was just like, you know, he was like he couldn't go anywhere in Glasgow without Rangers fans saying, don't let it be 10 in a row because obviously Celtic would have won 10 in a row. And that was like, that would have been last season when they were sort of fighting for it. So that was would have been obviously then nine and they sort of knew it was coming um, but sort of needed someone to stop it. And he's almost been like a saviour. You know, he's he's come into the club and, and turned it around. And I think away from sort of the Scottish Premier League and anywhere, people would sort of be like, you know, well, it's not that big of an achievement because, you know, it's only Scotland or whatever. But, you know, for a club like Celtic to, to win it nine times and, you know, have the success they've had of treble, treble, trebles and whatever else, you know, for Gerard then to take a team and to, you know, to end that, to end that success. Obviously, we know Celtic have imploded as well, but, you know, to build that team and do everything right, you know, the players he's brought, like the likes of Ryan Kent, for example, obviously, you know, he was kind of like teasing on the edge of his his Liverpool career was, you know, coming to, to an end. He sort of 
plucked players like that from not from obscurity, from players that he's you know had contact with and and known about. There's there's players like that all over the field for Rangers where he's he's taken them and he he seems to instill the real belief in in them. And um, it's almost like you know you saw the celebrations of him sliding across the the dressing room. He's still got that youth of like a player. So I feel like he is his own he's his own manager, isn't he? Which is I think so important for managers to do is to set out their own sort of identity almost. Um, and yeah, he, he has done just a terrific job. And I think now the question is to, to back that up, isn't it? And to keep going and sort of to, to push Rangers on again. But like you say, into Europe, um, the Champions League is the big one because there was a time when, you know, not so long ago it feels before obviously, you know, whatever happened at Rangers and, I think it was administration, was it? And they, they had to go down down the leagues and come back up or whatever happened there. And then, you know, but the time before that, it was Rangers Celtic every year were battling it out and, you know, it was enthralling to watch. And it feels like maybe that's going to happen again. But if, if Gerard can dominate that, then, you know, that's such an incredible feat. Yeah, his managerial journey is going to be excellent to watch, isn't it? Let's just give another word to a great mate of his and someone who he, he linked up with so well in the Liverpool side, Xabi Alonso, who looks like he could be taking a step, uh, sign into management. Another one who you'd expect big things from? I think it's a really smart move. Bruce Munchen-Gladbach, a club that has really solid foundations and has got a good track record of giving young managers the chance and giving them a little bit of time to sort of settle. He obviously knows the Bundesliga having played for, for Bayern Munich for a number of years and obviously will be working with a younger group of players as well, which is what he's done so far with Real Sociedad. So it's, it's, it's a really smart move. I know he's been sort of linked with a few jobs in England, a few assistant managers' jobs, whether it's at Man City, Arsenal a few other clubs as well, sort of outside the Premier League, which would have surprised a few people. But I think he, when I spoke to him 18 months ago in San Sebastian, he, he was really keen to sort of see out his contract as the B-team manager there and, and learn as much as he could about not just running a team, but but sort of the mechanics of managing at a club and, and understanding how the club works from a managerial point of view. And it was clear to me, speaking to him 18 months ago, that he, he would want to move and have a go at, you know, a, a higher level. But it was just about finding that right club. And for me, I think it just, again, shows you how smart he is. I can imagine him. I can imagine him as a Borussia Mönchengladbach manager, if that makes sense. You know, he's like, they're a club that have, have done well in the Champions League in the last couple of seasons and doing well in the Bundesliga. Got some young, exciting players, you know, the well-established club with a good... Um, a good sort of ownership behind them. So really stable club. And I just think it makes a lot of sense on, on so many levels. And I'd expect him to, to have a good managerial career. Like It was quite, quite interesting really, because we were talking about Steven Gerrard there. You notice, I noticed on Friday, like he's talking more like a manager now. And I saw that with, with Chabby as well. When, when I went to meet him, even though he, he was only sort of um, early on in his managerial uh, journey then. But um if his teams, again, play football like he did, I think that can only be a good thing for football. Yeah, t- two cracking lads. And obviously, we hope they'll have a terrific pathway in the management circles. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Loads covered off today. Brilliant stuff from uh, Simon and Kiva. Hope you've enjoyed uh, the Red Agenda. And I'll be back with you in a week's time. 
The Athletic.